Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. As some of you know, uh, I spent the first part of my career as a newspaper reporter. And in journalism, there's a basic set of facts that uh, reporters are taught to get into every story. That's, uh, they're called the five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And who, what, when, where, why, and how, it's drummed into you from the first time you, you step foot into a classroom in journalism school. And every professor drums it into you. And then the rest of your career, every editor makes sure that you're, you're following that if you're writing news. Features and opinion are different, different things. But in the news game, it's the five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, how. And so today, we're going to do the same thing uh, with our message. We're going to examine the five W's and H of glory. Specifically, God's glory and our giving glory to God. And so we'll undertake this so that we know the answer to a big question. What is our purpose in life? It's the question of the ages. It's the question of all ages, actually. What are you, what are you here for? Why were you created? Now, we know what the Bible says. It says you are created to glorify God. And the Westminster Catechism goes a little further. It asks, what is the chief end of man? We might say it this way today, what's our main purpose in life and death? And that's a question we had better get right. (laughs) And if we get it right, it's the highest form of living possible. If we get it wrong, it's horrible. Well, the answer given by the Westminster Catechism is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, out of an intense love for God, we are to make him known to all and to revel in him for eternity. I think it's a really good summation of humanity's purpose. It speaks of the present, glorifying him and enjoying him now, And we certainly do enjoy him when we glorify him. Those things, uh, knowing him does bring us enjoyment. And it also speaks of the future, that day when our earthly life comes to a close. We are united with God in his presence. We see him in glory face to face for eternity. Uh, The Bible calls it heaven. And so I think we all long for that day, don't we? Uh, we certainly should if we, if we don't. Uh, in fact, longing for that day should motivate us. Uh, longing for heaven should motivate our days on earth or our, our earthness, for lack of a better term. Um, put another way, we aren't we, we are to sink ourselves too deeply, our roots too deeply into this kind of materialistic life that we have here, but we're always to keep our eyes on heaven. And you know the Bible passage that tells us this. It's found in Matthew 6, 
19 and 20, very familiar passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So our focus on eternity is to motivate us as long as he keeps us in these earthly bodies. The time he places before us every day, the, the days and the weeks, the months and the years, should reflect that our minds and hearts are set on eternity with Christ. Tasks, decisions, relationships, activities, and especially our desires, all should reflect our motivation to love him, to serve him, to please him, to be in lockstep with him, to relish him, to adore him, and to think on him, and, and to dwell in him, in his goodness. And in doing so, this brings glory to God, and it brings peace to us. By now, you're, you may be wondering, well, what does this look like in my life? How do we actually do that? Can I actually do that? And we're going to hear today, what exactly is God's glory? Why we glorify God? And how we glorify God? And as Christians, I, I believe every one of us at some point asks, or at least seeks to live out the purpose that God has for us. Uh, but often we wonder whether we're actually doing that. Am I really living the life you want me to live, God? A am I being the man you created me to be? Am I being the woman you created me to be? Am I being the boy or the girl you created me to be? And I have good news for you. If you ever ask that question, you're already on the right track. So let's dive in and, and go through the five W's and an H, and let's see what this uncovers as to how and why we are to glorify God. And I'm not going to take them in order. Uh, we're going to start with the three that are, are most straightforward, who, when, and where. And then we'll finish with what I imagine most of you uh, will want to pay the closest attention to, and that's the how. Uh, how do we glorify God? And so the recurring theme of this message is this statement, always set God before me. It's up on the screen. I want you to keep that in mind. Write it in your notes. Take it home with you. Always set God before me. Okay. With that lead in, we start with who. All glory refers to the triune God of the Bible. For he is the only one worthy of all glory as their creator of all. So the who really is God. And I can't help but think every time I say the who of an old British rock band, so keep your jokes to yourself. Although they were clearly and are clearly one of the best of all time. But that may be a little irreverent for a message about God's glory. But uh, who in the five W's and H, simply refers to uh, the God of the Bible. But we can also say that people, 
and really all of creation play a role as well for the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1 says. And people, we are commanded, we are urged, we are told to declare the glory of God through our words and actions. And as Philippians 2 says, ultimately all will, for it says at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So that's who. Now when? That's pretty easy and, and obvious. Always. God is glory. He is never separated from it. And people are to glorify him always throughout their lives from beginning to end. And then where? Well, it doesn't matter where. God is everywhere all the time. He is omnipotent, so it's everywhere. And as for people, we are to glorify him no matter where we are. We could be at home, we could be in church as we are now, we could be in prison, we could be at the bowling alley, you name it, we could be cleaning toilets, we could be doing whatever it is, wherever you are, you can glorify God. So that's the three more obvious ones of the W's. And so we're going to drill down now and, and go a little deeper with these last three. Starting with what? What? Well, all glory is God's. In fact, God's glory is intrinsic in him. It's, it's who he is. It's really all of God's attributes. Uh, glory is his nature. It's, it's intrinsic in him. In Isaiah 6.3, we're given a glimpse into God on his heavenly throne. And on his heavenly throne, the angel calls out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So glory is not something that's added to him. It's not a, a commodity that can be increased or decreased or, or subject to the whims of anyone uh, or anything. It's not like it's a, an ingredient that can be added to a mixture. and You take a, a, a pinch of grace and a spoonful of mercy and, and a cup of glory and you mix it all up in various ratios and you, you come out differently uh, according to the moment. It doesn't change God's nature. Glory is not, it's not like something outward. It's not an outward adornment like it is with man. You, you, when you take a king or a queen, all, their, all of their glory is all out here. It's flowing robes and, and gold crowns. And if you stripped all that away from them, what is a king or a queen? It's just a person, just a man or a woman like you and me. Well, not so with God. No person can add to God's glory or take it away from him. He was before anyone declared his glory. He already was, and he is. We don't add to it. It's kind of like if I told you to make water wet. Well, you might say, I can't make it wet. It's already wet. It's water. That's, it's as wet as it's going to be. Exactly. Exactly. 
You can't separate wetness from water. It ceases to be if it's not wet, and God is not God without glory. By virtue of who he is, glory is his. And David says in 1 Chronicles 29.11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And Psalm 24 says God is the king of glory, just as we sung earlier. Then it asks, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. There's a Puritan author, Thomas Watson, that, that Dustin has talked about before. And he describes God's glory as the sum of his attributes. And then he gets poetic on us, and it's so good. He calls them the glistening beams by which the divine nature shines forth. Again, the glistening beams by which the divine nature shines forth. That's well done. I wish I could write that well. Psalm 8.1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then we come across the wonderful truth that God revealed his glory as he lowered himself to become a human being. John 1.14 brings those familiar words about the incarnation of Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Hebrews 1.3 calls Jesus the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. So glory is, God, is who God is. And how magnificent is God's glory? Well, on earth, we would not survive if we came face to face with the glory of God. It's that intense, pure, holy, and overwhelming. Um, take back into, the, into Exodus. Remember when Moses asks God, point blank, to show him his glory. As God is preparing the Israelites to go into the promised land. And God responds, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. However, God's willing to give Moses just a hint. So he, he shows Moses where to stand. He moves Moses behind a rock outcropping called a cleft, and he covers Moses with his hand. Then God passes by, and only after God is fully passed does he take away his hand from Moses, and Moses sees the, the back of God. Well, even that was so intense that 40 days later, after he came off the mountain from being in the presence of God, uh, the skin on Moses' face shines when he comes back to the Israelites. In fact, his skin shines so brightly that the people are afraid to go near him to where he ultimately puts a veil over his face. So glory, God's glory is a, a radiant, 
all-encompassing, all-consuming glory. So that's the what. So let's turn now to why. Why do we glorify God? Why should we glorify him? Well, put simply, God created us. He, he molded us from nothing. He fashioned you and I from dust for one singular reason. He created us for my glory, he says in Isaiah 43.7. That's why he created us. Going back to Watson again, the, the Puritan author from the late 1600s, he asked the question, why must we glorify God? Well, his answer, in part, creatures below us and above us bring glory to God, and do we think to sit rent-free? Shall everything glorify God but man? It would be a pity then that man was ever made. I'm going to go over that again. Creatures below us, meaning the animal kingdom, and above us, meaning the angelic realm, angels, bring glory to God. And do we think to sit rent-free? Shall everything glorify God but man? It would be a pity then that man was ever made. And in studying for this message, I came across uh, Psalm 144, which I'd like to uh, share a little bit with you. It speaks of God's concern for his people and their praise for the lavish care that he has provided for them, plus sustaining them. And I was struck in that psalm by the last verse, verse 15. The last verse says, Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And now, blessed can be translated as happy. So, happy are the people to whom such blessings fall. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Well, we are to be happy people, are we not? Because of the incredible promises of God, not just because of our personality. We are to be happy because of God's incredible promises. If Christ is, is in us, and we are in Christ, and he has promised us forgiveness of our sins and a place with him for eternity, that ought surely to bring us to a place of being happy, both inwardly and outwardly. And I think people should definitely pick up on our happiness. Um, what are you so happy about? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about what God has done. Let me tell you about the promises of God for those who receive Christ. And so I would ask, does that rule the day in your heart? Or are you thrown to and fro by your circumstances? Is your happiness dictated by your circumstance every day? Now I understand that sometimes it is difficult to be happy in certain circumstances. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, pain and hardship are real. And sometimes it seems they will never go away. They just keep going on and on, or we get beset by one hardship after another. And, and that can certainly impact uh, our happiness, so to speak. And it's not about our happiness. However, that should be a, an outgrowth of uh, the glory of God and, and our understanding of it. 
And then I would ask, how long does it last? I know it, hardship seems to, to last a long time, but from an eternal perspective, at most it'll be with you to the end of your life. And that's not very long, actually, uh, in the span of eternity. Uh, what's 70 or 80 or 90 years if we're even given that? Uh, the Bible calls our life a mist or a vapor. It's a, it's a fading flower or a, a withering grass. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And so next to the span of eternity, ten thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands, uh, our few years on earth are pretty short. Uh, now, I don't say that to minimize the difficulty of that, but I share that because we, even then, can be happy in our troubles knowing what's coming on the back end. And what's coming on the back end is glorious. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, calls our troubles in this life our light affliction, knowing that they will be gone before we know it, and then comes eternal bliss. John Piper, he points out that God gave all the motivation for glorifying him, clear back in Exodus chapter 3, as he wills the Israelites out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land. Moses was being appointed by God to lead them, and Moses didn't feel up to the task. He speculated the Israelites wouldn't really trust fully in him as well. They may doubt him. Uh, and he figured they'd want to know the name of this God whom he claimed appointed him the leader and in charge. And so we read in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Well, Piper points out that Moses asked for his name. God did not say this was his name. He said, in effect, before I tell you my name, I want you to be stunned by this fact. I am who I am. And it seems to me, and this is Piper speaking again, that God would say this to us right now. You want to ask about what it means to glorify me, to do everything to my glory? Well, let me tell you something first. Let it sink in that I am. Before you talk about me or do anything for me, be amazed that I exist. I absolutely am. This is first. This is foundational. This is of infinite importance. So I would ask you, why should we glorify God? Because God glorifies God in everything, and he is the ultimate, absolute reason for everything we are and everything we do. Which brings us through the five W's and brings us to how. And I want to start with a drink of water. I actually want to start with Martin Luther. 
In his letter to the Pope at the time, Pope Leo in 1520, Martin Luther wrote this. It is not by working, but by believing that we glorify God. It is not by working, but by believing that we glorify God. So what does it mean to give God glory? It means to magnify his glory before the world, John MacArthur says. Watson, again, the glory we give God is nothing else but lifting up his name in the world and magnifying him in the eyes of others. Lifting him up, magnifying him in the eyes of others. 1 Corinthians 6.20 should be on the screen. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Philippians 1.20, Christ shall be honored in my body. And some translations have it as magnified, so it would, Christ shall be magnified in my body. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That doesn't leave much wiggle room. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we come to Psalm 16, verse 8, which is kind of the theme of the message that I mentioned at the beginning. And that verse is, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. What David is driving at is that his full attention is on God. All that he does is for God and to God. He is riveted to God's glory and God's honor and God's will. So if man's chief end is to glorify God, that's the same as setting him before me in everything. Well, John MacArthur, taking a look at Psalm 16, he points out that the psalm is messianic in that it's pointing to Jesus Christ. And we get that because Peter quotes it in the New Testament in Acts 2. He, Peter says this refers to Christ because Psalm 16 goes on to say, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That's a reference to the resurrection. And Peter says that verse was fulfilled by Jesus. Well, Christ's purpose was to glorify the Father, as he says in John 17, 4. I glorified you on earth. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, Christ always set God before him to give him glory. The same thing with David so it should be with you and me. The main thing in our lives, the main thing in our lives should be to give God glory. That's the whole point of life, to bring God glory. And in turn, that brings us peace and purpose and meaning. Well, the opposite is true as well. If we choose not to glorify God, we miss the whole point of life. And we don't have that peace. Or worse, we refuse to glorify him. We set our face against him. And instead, chasing the, the fallacy of glorifying ourselves. In the end, this leads to death, not life. 
In the end, this leads to despair and not peace. We can see that just in our lifetimes, how that plays out. And so these, these promises, this desire to glorify God, it goes for everyone here today. It goes for your family members, your friends, and your neighbors, and on and on. There, there's not a man, woman, and child alive today for whom this does not apply. God made every single one. He didn't have to, but he did. He breathed life into us. We are, we are his, intimately fashioned by his hand before the foundations of the world. And it's for his good purposes. And I really like how MacArthur put it. He said we should focus and concentrate on the person of God until we are, quote, lost in his majesty and in his glory. I like that. Lost in his majesty. You know how it is to be lost in a thought. To be so completely absorbed into the thought of something that you block everything else out. And let's hope that doesn't happen when you're driving or operating heavy machinery, but but we all understand the feeling of being lost in a moment. It can be all-consuming. It can be so consuming that you let basic things go, like sleep and food. It dominates your mind. It dominates your thinking. It's all you can think about. And so as you go there, that's the idea here of how we bring glory to God of being lost in his majesty, to always set God before me. Start your day with him from the very beginning. And if you're not starting the day with him in prayer or Bible reading, I would say you're missing out an opportunity to glorify God. And you're missing an opportunity to bring peace and, uh, and, and purpose your, to your own day. So... Start your day with God, come back to him throughout your day. Pray for people as you think of them. Give thanks, both inwardly and outwardly, uh, to God for everything that happens or everywhere you are able to go. Praise him to others as he brings opportunity. Listen to worship music in the car. Read a devotion on your break or at lunch or whenever you have a moment. Be a blessing to someone else with a note or a text, a call or a visit. Heck, you can even invite a friend or a coworker, or a fellow student to join you to a midweek church event or a service or join you at a Christian movie. And then finish the day with him. Discuss his goodness and his word with your family. Attend yourself a midweek church event pray together, or if you're by yourself, pray alone. Read a story. Get outside yourself. Serve someone else with a meal or hospitality. Devote time to study after your chores are done, maybe before your chores are done. And then simply pray before going to bed. So always set God before me. 
that's how we are to bring glory to God. Another way to put it is be conscious of God. Always conscious of Him. This glorifies God. This is how you glorify it. This is how you enjoy Him. And in the same way, when you are always conscious of God, what are you quick to do? You're quick to praise Him. This also is how you glorify God. So, it's not just keeping Him in mind or in your heart and just keeping Him to yourself. It's being so glad and so grateful and overwhelmed by His goodness that you openly declare these things to others. Look at 1 Chronicles 16.23. It should be up on the board or you can turn there in your Bibles. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, starting in verse 23. Verse 23, Sing to the Lord all the earth, Tell of his, his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Why? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 25. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And then jumping down to verse 28. And 29, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So, how do we glorify God? We sing, we tell, we declare, we praise, we fear, and we ascribe. And that's just in 1 Chronicles 16. Pretty much. So everything do, we do, we do, do all to the glory of God. And we do it outwardly. And that's a key here. We do it outwardly. Inwardly we adore Him. Outwardly we share Him. We don't keep it to our, all to ourselves as if it's a secret. That doesn't glorify God. I suppose someone might, after having been around you for a long time, get up the courage to ask you maybe why you are the way you are and, and what do you believe. Uh, but the Bible constantly directs us to be an open book, to literally shout out to the world the wonders of God. Psalm 66, verse 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. That seems to be the very opposite of the idea that, well, my faith is, mm, it's a private thing. I, I better keep it to myself. I don't want to offend anyone. No! No! Shout for joy. Sing. Give him glorious praise. There's no ambiguity there. God makes it very clear. Now, we all have different personalities. Not all of us can be Billy Graham. Not all of us can be Tim Tebow or George Whitfield, uh, whom we learn in Dustin's excellent and fun Sunday morning uh, talks on the Great Awakening that Whitfield 
just went wherever groups of people were and started talking about God. He was so moved and infused by the God that he read in Scripture and the God that he had received that he wanted to shout it out loud. But the, at the time, the, the staid churches wouldn't give him a forum. They wouldn't give him a pulpit. And so he simply went outdoors, wherever people were, and he talked, and he preached. And the bigger the crowd's word, he shouted. And that's a wonderful, wonderful picture of how motivated we should be. You may not be able to, to orate like, like the great preachers of, of the world, of history, but you can talk, and you can talk with passion, and you can just say what you know. Again, and not everyone has that personality, but we should all be that motivated. And I think if we look for the opportunity, you'll be shocked by how often that opportunity presents itself and how many times God brings that opportunity to you. Basically, if you're talking to another person, there's an opportunity. God has just brought you an opportunity. And this applies even if you're not talking face-to-face. You have a phone or a computer. So text, email, post on a forum, make good use of social media. Do like the Apostle Paul told the Philippians, practice these things. And then I want to remind you that none of these things is available because of you. God has provided everything for you to be even be here today. To be even, even to be able to see where to go to sit safely, to be able to move your body into place, and to be able to hear the music and hear the words, and even to see the beautiful stained glass window behind me. It's all because of God. And so we cannot glorify God, and we do not glorify God without loving Him first. And fearing him, and adoring him. Because where our heart is toward God, that's where our actions will follow. Uh, we all know this. We all know that good works only bring God glory when they are the result of our faith and trust and belief in him. And the Pharisees did good works, but they were motivated by earthly rewards. And heck, that's really no different than today, is it? We see a lot of good works. Non-believers do many good works. They raise money for all kinds of charities, and they feed, feed the hungry, and they, they seek to do good. But none of it glorifies God unless it is d- done out of a true love for him. And remember what Martin Luther said in his letter, it is not by working, but by believing that we glorify God. And now, when you openly declare the wonders of God, do it with affection. Be winsome. Be bold. But don't be a jerk. That that doesn't bring glory to God. In fact, in Titus 2, it even talks about the character of believing men and women who are motivated by honoring God. And in Titus 2, it says, In your teaching, show integrity dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, 
having nothing evil to say about us. This is to glorify God. First love, then talk. First adoration, then oration. First worship, then song. And Thomas Watson, again, said that glorifying God consists of four things. Appreciation, adoration, affection, and subjection. And the first three have to do with the attitudes of our hearts. Appreciation, adoration, and affection. Appreciating God is setting him highest in our thoughts, esteeming him far above all things. And this leads to adoring him, which leads to a deep affection and love for him. Setting our heart upon his treasure, giving the best of our love, an intense burning desire for him and his glory. And when you do all those three things, all of this results in our dedication to serve him. And as Watson said, our head studies for him, our tongue pleads for him, and our hands relieve his members. So to close, let's understand why it, is, why it is so critical to be in God's word regularly and often. David, remember, says in Psalm 16, he has set the Lord always before me. Always set God before me. And when he does this, when David always sets the Lord before him, he says the result is, well, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. Wow. So he sets the Lord always before him, meaning he dwells there and camps with God. He saturates himself with God. He thinks about him. He lets his words and his words to him dominate his every thought, rolling around in his mind. And then he does the things that he knows please God. I think of the verse, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Saturate yourself with God's word and your actions will follow. And sometimes it takes um, very intentional effort to make room for those times. And I think one of the, the great tragedies of our time is this seeming need to fill up every single moment with entertainment, with something, however banal it is, and that leaves no time for, or no room for reflection and contemplation and communion with God. Just sitting back, slowing down, and doing that which is most beneficial and healthy for our lives, which is being with the Lord, and which is most pleasing to Him. And this is a real challenge for a lot of us especially the type A personalities. Um, the type of person that just wants to go, go, go all the time. And I know it's been a challenge for me at times. But this is wholly necessary. So I want to encourage you, challenge you, this week to look at the things that occupy your time and figure out what you can replace with the beauty of quietness and rest in God and His Word and his words. Always set God before me. Let's pray as the worship team comes up.
Dear Father, your love is steadfast and perfect, and we are moved to the core by your care for us. We pray that we are motivated to love you, to worship you, and to declare you in every way we can. May all that we do glorify you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.